Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. I am our host, Matt Bukulski. Another incredible, mind-blowing episode coming at you. We recorded this one live in person in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. My great friend, Brian Johnson, you may know him as the philosopher, the modern-day philosopher from just the incredible business, Heroic, joins me today to dive into his incredible platform, his incredible new book, um, ladies and gents, you're going to love this gentleman. He's a previous guest of the show, one of our most requested repeat guests, uh, probably one of my favorite conversations from the original podcast. And then this one, again, is nothing short of mind-blowing. Ryan just offers and delivers actionable ways to change your life, ultimately new ways to look at your life, new ways to action, ultimately making the changes that maybe have been hard for you or providing an effective framework. And I think when someone truly starts to understand their craft and master their craft, they can simplify it down to a very small number of things. And, and they know their information. They know what they're trying to convey and they do it in a really concise way. Brian is just a gift to the world right now in a time where there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of misdirection. Brian is certainly shining the light on the path to personal excellence and ultimately living a life that is full of joy and energy and abundance. Ladies and gentlemen, enjoy the podcast with my great friend, Brian Johnson. As soon as you're done the podcast, I would love it if you would go over to muscleintelligence.com slash heroic and get a 30-day trial of Brian's life-changing personal development platform and app. Brian's literally spent the last decade more curating and distilling the world's greatest wisdom from the best books and philosophers. This man's traveled the world studying the lives and practices of the world's greatest humans, not just modern day, but ancient. Brian's tagline is modern day science and overlapping ancient wisdom. And there's just so much value. We talk about habits and productivity, sleep, nutrition, fitness, creativity, and learning, willpower, and goal setting, and so much more that ultimately allows you to become the best version of yourself in as little as three minutes a day. This has become one of my best practices. His app was developed by the same people who did Uber and another other a number of other incredible apps. Guys, you're gonna love this app. Don't rest on this. Don't sleep on this. Head over to muscleintelligence.com/heroic. That's H-E-R-O-I-C, and get your free trial for 30 days of Brian's incredible app. Today's podcast is also brought to you by our friends at Natural Stacks. If you're someone who wants to live your greatest life, your brain must be something you consider. And I think it's important that you know that you don't realize how good you can possibly feel until you start to optimize how your body works, until you stop to start to optimize how your brain works. Natural Stacks has some incredible products that I've been using for years. The number one product of my choice is the dopamine brain food. I don't use it every day. I probably use it two or three times a week because I find it to be one, really effective, but two, potentially habituating. It's so good that you want more of it. And so the formula features uh, phenylalanine and tyrosine, two really, really powerful precursors to dopamine production as well as some B vitamins and some other effective things to support methylation. Uh, just an incredible product that I strongly suggest you check out. My second favorite product is acetylcholine brain food. So if you're someone who fancies yourself a thinker or wants to be a more effective thinker, you're going to love this product. Acetylcholine is an absolute uh, powerhouse neurotransmitter to help you improve brain speed, quote unquote, and process information more effectively. Uh, acetylcholine brain food is a unique formula designed to ultimately naturally promote the production of acetylcholine in the brain that's uh, vital for mental processing. And you can check out their products 
at naturalstacks.com slash muscle or use the code muscle15 at checkout to get 15% off. Uh, Natural Stacks is, is an incredible suite of products done very, very well uh, that I've been using and highly recommend for you, the listener, and for anyone who ultimately looks to get the most out of their mind. Enjoy the podcast. Brian, as I said, as we begun uh, start a little chat today, as I picked up this book yesterday, literally for the first time, the timing was just so, such a beautiful synchronicity. I opened it up and this sounds um, big, but I can tell it's going to make an impact. I can tell it's going to make an impact on me and my family. You know, the first thing I did is I read the first, what is the equivalent of five pages, which is about your story with your son. I'm going to give it to my son. It's like, and he just happened to be right there beside me. I was like, I want you to read this. And so he reads it and I was like, explain it to me. And, he, and he's like this. It's like expressing the best words of yourself minute to minute to minute. It's like kind of his one sentence summary. And I was like, yeah, he gets it. And I'm like, how, how then do we embody that in our life? So I'd love to have you start with the story that you begin the book with with Emerson because I think it's such a powerful way to convey the message. Oh, right on, man. Well, I'm thrilled to be here. And the fact that your son's already opened it up, like there's no higher praise for me than than the kids, the next generation getting it. Um, but the way that I, I open up the story, you know, arte, it's a Greek word. It's kind of a, it's hard to pronounce. What does it mean? And so it was actually the hardest part of the book was how do I roll into this, you know, and then frame it up. And as it turned out, the perfect situation in our family arose. We're obviously, my wife's into this, as you know, and we're, we're always talking to the kids about this. But my, my son, Emerson, 10 years old at the time, now 11, really into chess, like really into chess. Like I was into baseball as a kid, you know, um, watches the world championships of chess. Like I used to watch the world series and I'm like, you understand what they're saying? He's like, yeah, this is great. <laughs> anyway, he wants to be a grandmaster, right? So he's all in and we're having fun and I'm finally showing up like a dad, you know, like I was talking to some friends about you know, up until recently, I felt like I was helping mom, you know, and I did my best, but now I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm able to be a dad. Yeah. Don't listen to me about chess. You didn't destroy me, but I got a few things I can share on optimal living and whatnot. Anyway, so he's got this tournament that we're excited about, you know, and he's going to go play at this Grandmaster Chess Academy in Austin. So I, I'd start my day in a certain way every day and I cut my work stuff short because I needed to get him ready. We got a protocol before he plays matches. And so I came out of my office and I'm all fired up, you know, I'm excited to go to this tournament, you know? And I come out and uh, he's like, I'm like, dude, we got a tournament today. How fun is that going to be? He's like, meh, I don't want to go. You know, they talk about the wilted flower pose and I'm like, what's up, buddy? You know? And uh, anyway, we go on a walk. My wife tells me, hey, he, he thinks he's not going to win. That's why he doesn't want to go to that. And I'm like, all right, cool. We got to talk about that. So we wind up having this conversation about the voice in his head. You know, that's telling him all the reasons why he doesn't want to do something he really does want to do, right. you know? And so we go on this walk on our property and we're talking about it. And I get goosebumps right now because it was a really, really sacred moment, you know, of, all right, buddy, we've all got that voice in our heads. And there was a moment where I literally got down on my knee and I just looked at him and I said, look, if you run your life letting that voice take over, you're not going to create the life you want. Um, and I said, well, what do you want in your life, you know? And he, he says, I want to be happy. You know, I want to be all those, those kind of things. I said, absolutely. And then I pointed to my tattoo on this arm. If you want to be heroic, you want to express the best version of yourself. I said, all right, well, how are you going to do that? How are you going to create this life of happiness and meaning, et cetera? And then he said, I'm going to help people. And I'm like, dude, that's a great answer. That's exactly how you're going to do it, you know? But in this moment, 
what do you need to do in order to show up as your best self and experience that joy in the moment? They said, oh, I don't know. They said, well, let's look at this arm. So what you need to do is you need to live with Arata. Do you remember what that means? And he's like, kind of, sort of. And so in the book, I walk through this and I say, look, Arata, as you know, is a Greek word. We translate it as virtue or excellence, but it has a deeper meaning. It's something closer to you. And then I raise my, my hand up. I'm like, look, if in any given moment, you could be this version of you and you're being that version of you and there's a gap, that's when you're going to feel regret, anxiety, disillusionment, all the other things you don't want. But when you close that gap and you're being your best self, you're living with Arate and then you feel great. Um, it was, again, just one of those moments of, oh, and then I realized, oh, okay, cool. That's how I started the book. <laughs> Let's go. 10-year-old. And it's such a beautiful way to convey what it is to everyone. Because now everyone comes into the book going, got it. Expressing the best version of myself minute to minute to minute. I think there's something to be to be noted and discussed there around that voice that we all have is is sometimes people's tendency will be to like deny the voice or condemn the voice and like pull out about it. That voice is there evolutionarily to protect you, right? And so with with my kids, it'll always be this lesson around what is it telling you and say thank you. It's not there to to uh, hurt you; it's there to protect you. And that voice is your friend. Because some situations you're you're denying or you stay away from are good. We want we want to secure that voice. It does, we want to be able to be discerning, and I think that's where many people in our population kind of lose it. Is like the ability to be discerning between is that voice useful in this moment or not useful? Yeah, right. The example that comes to mind for me and my kids were standing in line to go on a roller coaster, and they're like, "I don't want to go." I was like, "Okay, why don't you want to go? Let's talk about this." And and so they're feeling the fear, they're experiencing the fear, and I don't want to deny the fear. like, "Ah, oh, it's okay, you're good, you're fine." Like, "Oh no, let's talk about that." Like, "Where's that coming from? What does that feel like for you?" That 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 lesson, that voice in your head is a great thing because if I wasn't here and this wasn't a good situation, you weren't sure. Maybe the voice is a friend. Yep. And in this situation, if we can have a conversation about you, like, I think I'm going to be okay. You know, so it, we went from like, I don't want to do it to, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll try. Because I think, one, I trust dad. Two, this voice is, is just there to give me a, a warning signal. Like, hey, don't touch the hot verter again. That's a good voice, right? Yeah. I think for us as, as adults, we can be discerning. But for children, yeah, I've been teaching my kids discernment since they were three or trying to anyways. Because I think that's what's missing in our society. Everyone wants to live in these polarities. It's either good or it's bad. I was like, no, everything's contextual. At least in my world, it is contextual. Uh, and so I loved uh, Well, dude, and then, as you know, we went off and then we talked about fear and laziness. Yeah. You know, the two things that usually get in the way. But then the thing that I use in, in our work is we call it targeted thinking. So then for us, the ultimate question in our family is, well, what do you want? You know, so if I'm at the amusement park, I want to have a good time at the amusement park. Okay, cool. Well, what are you going to need to do in order to have a good time today? They're probably going to need to go on some rides. They're probably going to need to be willing to feel that fear and do it anyway. Now, if you are being tempted or, you know, whatever by a peer group that isn't worth following, the question is, well, what do I want? Well, I want to be my best self in this moment. Is doing that thing going to help me be that? So for my son, it was, he wants to be a grandmaster. All right, well, what do you need to do if you want to be a grandmaster? I need to practice a lot. Yeah, yeah. What else do you need to do? Oh, I need to go to tournaments and I need to be willing to, to win or learn. Oh, okay, cool. Then what do you need to do today in order to have a shot at hitting that goal over the next X years? Uh, I need to go to the tournament and win or learn. There's that intrinsic, we call it making the connection, in this case, between what they want, what they're doing. And then the question for me was, was that voice in your head 
helping you get the thing that you want, right. or was it more of the fear and laziness that was kind of getting in the way of you, you know, showing up and, and uh, doing what you feel inspired to do? Talk to me about, tell me what you want to do, because it, I don't think it's easy to assume that most people have any idea or, the, or certainly the ability to articulate it. If I ask my kids, what do you want to do to it? I don't know. They're like, ah, interesting. So do you have process, uh, some thoughts, and ultimately providing some clarity on how, you know, maybe the listener could be like, oh, this is what I want to do. Because I don't, you, know, you, you have such clarity and like, yep. this is who I am. This is how I show up in the morning. This is how I show up in my family. This is how I show up in my energy, work, and love, right? Uh, but not everyone has that clarity. Yeah, even I, obviously, my clarity, your clarity, it's dynamic. Yep. You know, and that's, we need to respond to our reality as it evolves. And this is one of the things that's been really fun for us, Alexander and I, you know, as you know, we, we haven't pushed anything from reading to whatever on, you know, we've kind of allowed things to go at a certain natural pace, but we've been kind of waiting for that spark of, of enthusiasm and excitement. So when chess kind of arose for him, we were kind of, we were looking, waiting for, you know, whatever. But when we saw it, then it was, oh, I'll support you if you want to do that. And that's given us a really good context. So I think for us, it happens to be chess. For other parents, maybe their kids are into baseball or, or football or, you know, whatever it is. And I find that those small games that our kids are passionate about, that they're passionate about. He's not doing it because I'm telling him you should do this. He just, it's what he does, you know. He spends all this time playing, literally, and he happens to be getting very good. But that context, that little game, has given me as his dad and Alexandra and I this opportunity to teach him the rules of the ultimate game, which is, oh, well, if you say you want that, then let's win the real game, which is showing up as your best self, living with all our tastes so you can feel fulfillment. I found that to be really helpful. And that's how I frame everything. You know, so yesterday we hung out with John over at Toronto FC. This is what we're talking about. You want to win a championship, a major league soccer championship, you got to start by winning the ultimate game. But that, that contextual game that we set for ourselves is great. We just want to remember that's not the actual ultimate game that we're playing. Um, and then it's just the hard work of unplugging from for parents to know their own identities and, and the virtues they want to embody, the behaviors they want to engage in that will help them achieve what they really want in life. And then it's, all right, let me follow you around for a day. Let me see if I can find 15, 35, 30, 45 minutes, you know, that we can take out of that and put into reflection time and really thinking about what do I want in my life um, when we tend to get seduced and kind of caught up in the, you know, everything that's going on and being thrown at us. And I feel a little burned out, feel like we don't quite have the sense of purpose and meaning that we want to have, you know? Yeah. I feel like a lot of people that I encounter um, are often stuck in the dynamic between like, I need to work and provide. And I know that my passion is somewhere over here and I'm trying to like move myself away from that into that. And it's an interesting uh, kind of life dynamic that I think a lot of people go through is like, I know I'm not doing what I love. You know, I wasn't sure what I love. I went through this, like I had to meet society's expectations because I had to get the job, I had to get the degree and then to get the job. And then now I ended up in a place I don't want to be. And I'm not sure how to get out of the golden handcuffs. Right. So I think what you're what you're doing is is uh, providing people with the tools to get out of that. Tell me about the ultimate game. Yes, sir. From my vantage point, it's the first objective in the book and in our coach program, as you know, and everything that we do is you got to step back and you got to just half an inch from the cultural conditioning that's telling us that we should want fame and wealth and hotness and initials after our name and a certain square footage in our house and all the other things, you know. And most of us are chasing that extrinsic motivation, not not exclusively. 
but predominantly. And then we feel alienated from ourselves and what we really feel called to do. But the science is unequivocal. You know, if you're going after that stuff, and again, it's not a 0% of your energy, but if you're predominantly focused on those extrinsic motivators, even if you are succeeding in pursuit of getting them, you will be, and this phrase always strikes me, scientists say, less psychologically stable than people who are pursuing intrinsic motivation, which has become a better person, deepen your relationships, and make a contribution to your family and communities. So intrinsic, extrinsic is a big part of the distinction in the ultimate game. And then I like to, you know, my, my whole thing is ancient wisdom, modern science. And I've spent a lot of time studying deeply to try to understand what they all say, what's coherent among their, their teachings. So I like to playfully talk about Aristotle and Martin Seligman as a proxy for ancient wisdom and modern science. And one of the other ways I frame it in the book is, all right, if you brought those two guys in, Aristotle, Martin Seligman, again, founder of the positive psychology movement, he said, hey, what's the ultimate gain? What's the ultimate meaning and, and purpose of life? They give you the exact same one-word answer. Yep. Aristotle says eudaimonia, good soul. We translate that weekly as happiness, but Seligman would hold up his most recent book and say, no, no, it's flourishing. Yep. You got to flourish. You got to express the best version of yourself. Then you say, well, how do you do that? And Aristotle's one-word answer is R.I.K. Will be your best self. When you do that and you close the gap, you experience this deep sense of joy and meaning and purpose. And you don't need to wait, by the way, until you cross off everything on your bucket list. The moment you do it, you feel this sense of aliveness. And and also, the moment you don't, <laughs> you're going to feel a little something's missing. Well, you string a lot of those together in any given day or week or month or year or decade, and you're going to want to numb yourself. So just stepping back and seeing that and then architecting your life appropriately so you can more consistently win the ultimate game um, is what, you know, my life's work is all about and what I try to share in the book. It's had an enormous number of influences on your thinking. So when I first found you, I think it was 2007, maybe 2008. Is that when Philosophy's Notes started? Yeah. Yeah. So scroll. Oh, you know, gee. <laughs> so I found it through, through our friend, Alvin Brown, who I connected you with. I don't know if you guys ever been connecting, but... I uh, started watching your stuff and I was like, you're just doing this incredible service of like taking all this this ancient wisdom and modern science and summarizing it in a way that people can go, okay, I've got the bullet points and if I want to go deeper, I can go deeper. And you've had an enormous number of uh, successful you know, interactions and business ventures. Who have been the biggest influences on your current level of thinking? It was very hard for you to sum down. No, that's easy. Is it all stats? Really? Tears my ass. We've done 400 one-on-one coaching sessions. He's become really kind of my spiritual father, um, unquestionably. Gets me emotional, you know, just to celebrate him. And, you know, I think what a good coach does and what he did for me, and really just a strong masculine presence in anyone's life yeah. that's there and truly engaged and frankly believable, Phil's done it. He's, he's worked with people and he's, he's helped people become what they're here to become. Um, but just, you know, that, that subtle... The way he described it was, you know, it's like a golf coach. It's just that that hand on the shoulder that moves you just just a half an inch, you know what I mean? Or just that subtle little shift where all of a sudden things start to click. He's done that for me so many times, you know, and just giving me so much clarity intellectually and then creatively where I don't need to think about something. You know, once once I kind of knew, but we talk about it, then I'm just, it's done. Got it. I, I've just locked that down and then I, next, you know, and we've done that over and over again. Um, so I, yeah. He's a special guy. So the thing I loved about Phil was it was just real. It was, it was just real. There was no, there was nothing other than Phil. 
my perception, right? And that seems to be lost, right? So as an example, the only guy that I coach with now, the thing that got me, I was like, that's the guy. And it's just the the brutal, transparent, honesty, and brutal, the context which I met him was, was a little bit like, I was like, this guy tells the truth. <laughs> I was like, I value that so much. And that's what I felt from Phil when we interviewed with him and, and Barry. Like, I was like, this guy just tells the truth that he's not worried about what's received on the other end as much. He's just like, hey, this is the truth of the matter. You know, take it or leave it. Why did her love it? I just love him. Yeah. I love that. I appreciate yeah. that so much. Yeah, that's the easiest question you're going to ask me. Yeah. yeah, that's good. So was it the the tools that got you, in, uh, how did you and Phil connect? Yeah, so I, I got the tools um, forever ago. I mean, when it was, you know, when it, when I was in the middle of the philosopher's notes, right when it came out, I'm like, this book's amazing. I mean, I bought, you know, we had maybe 10, 15 people on our team at the time. I got them all books, sent it to my friends. And one of my friends, I sent it to his trip one year. Um, and then he got it. And his thing is, you know, he interviews these guys. So he interviewed Phil. Um, and then I wanted to interview Phil. And he's like, I, I'll, I'll connect you two, you know? And then I interviewed um, Phil and Barry, and I knew I wanted to work with them. And then it was really funny because I'm like, you know, I had the opportunity to work with, with either Phil or Barry. And I'm like, well, who do I work with? You know, I'm like, you got to go with Yoda. In that booth, you, got, you have to go with Yoda in that one, you know? And so that was 2017. Uh, January 2017, we had our first session, um, which is crazy to imagine, you know, seven years ago. Um, and then we just hit it off. And, and uh, I mean, we, we did... Once a week, we've done once a week every week for seven years. We did twice a week for two years. So just just deep, good, 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 powerful work. What's one, I want to say, challenge Pride Jobs is dealing with, or what's one lesson that stands out in your mind like this? Yeah, I mean, there's so much. I literally, I look at my notes between sessions every morning. I review them. You know, there's three or four pages. It's I don't keep a lot of stuff, but I write, you know, five, six pages of, you know, chicken scratch notes with every one of my sessions. It's my most prized possessions. And then the first page of my notes, I mean, we could talk for a weekend on the first page of the first session. But one of the things that, that most impacted me and how I deal with everything in my life is something he calls emotional stamina that I extended in my work to anti-fragile confidence. Um, but that the origin there is in part largely influenced by Phil. So he told me in one of our early sessions that he said, hey, you got a lot of emotional stamina. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I appreciate that. I have no idea what that means, but cool, thanks, you know? End of the session. Next session, I'm like, dude, what's emotional stamina? And he's like, all right, emotional stamina is your ability to tolerate pain, uncertainty, hard work. Um, and the only way you can do that and be able to endure the inevitable challenges of life is this. The worse you feel, the more committed you are to your protocol. I love that. I use that all the time. I mean, here's what again. The worse you feel, the more committed you are to your protocol. Now, that presupposes you have a protocol. Right. Presupposes you know who you are when you're at your best. And then, when you know that, when you're at your worst and getting hammered, you do your best. You yeah. double down on your fundamentals. Th that has completely transformed my life. And as I say in the in the book, that's your ticket to invincibility. If you even just get one, three, five percent better at that, literally the things that used to knock you down into vicious, spiraling, circus comes to town behaviors, yeah. that very same stimulus gives you the impetus to go be your best self. And then you're like, dude, I can handle whatever life throws at me and get stronger. Like I'm hitting the gym, you know? Um, that's by far the well, it's tied for furs. I can give you a bunch of other things, but that that's uh that's a powerful distinction that he you knows. You know, it's right? really funny. One of the ways that I teach exercise 
is I teach it in terms of skill is completely different, almost two completely different things when you're fresh versus when you're fatigued. And so as you start to fatigue, most people do what? They get loose, they get lazy, they get messy. And I was like, it's the complete opposite. The more fatigued you get, the better you get. And it's funny how it's a perfect translation from what he was teaching, because obviously when you're, when you're you know, driving the car as fast as you possibly can, you can't allow your focus to wane. You have to be zeroed in. And so I translated that to exercise. I'm like, yeah, the, the, the worse I feel, the better I do. It's crazy how that kind of extrapolated in, in, in different blade, but... Why <laughs> accident, right? Yeah, yeah. It was that, it was just doing it. You're driving the car really, really fast. Yeah. You go like, if I get sloppy, things break yeah. really fast. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of people who are trying to push their body hard, trying to push their, their mind hard. And if they allow themselves to get messy, sloppy, weak, mindless, yep. uh, things happen. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. That's a beautiful lesson. Um, walk me through the book, man. So you started writing this a number of years ago. Like, well, you probably writing in your head for 10 years as it started plus was nuts so walk me through the the stimulus the motivation because i know everything you do is so intentional yeah i mean i spent a long time trying to be worthy of, of sharing you know and trying to lead a movement with heroic um and so as you know i just deeply immersed myself in everything i could so i created philosopher's notes thought i'd do a hundred of them wound up doing 650 distillations of great books. So all the best books on Stoicism, ancient wisdom traditions, and then modern science. Um, and then waited to, to write the book, you know? Um, and then as I was creating the book, it was interesting because there's two different books I could have created, you know? I could have created the normal 200 to 300 page, kind of fluffy, hey, you know, here's a book. Uh, good luck with that. But it just didn't feel right, you know? My style is, um, it's obviously intense, but it's also kind of, pithy and there's a deliver, deliberate um level of uh kind of overload as i describe it in the in the book you know where i just wanted to share um some of the best most life-changing ideas you know that i've discovered over the last better part of 10 15 20 years and then i actually asked the team hey out of all the things i've taught what's the idea that has most changed your life right so michael's here you know and, and a handful of people on our team because i wanted to make sure it was in the book and they each sent me, you know, 5, 10, 15, Michael went off with like a ton of ideas, but none of them were the same. Mm. They were all different. And I, I was struck by that. I'm like, well, which one am I going to leave out? You know, and then as I got into it, I realized I wanted to create something that, that had a certain level of gravitas that, that um, you know, was my best, that there was the best stuff that I had studied. So now there's 451 ideas in the book, each of which is a page, two, three pages long. To get to that activation energy point, it's structured around the seven objectives, which we've used again and again in our coach program, the basic training in the app. Um, so there's a logical coherence to it um, that it, you know, has been proven to work. Um, but also you can get in and out wherever you feel inspired. Um, that's the basic kind of um, high level of yeah. all. And then what I was excited to create. So I'm going to pause right there because one of my favorite things about you writing this book, and you said this to me in one of our recent conversations was, it almost is you're coming out. It's like you've been you've been behind the scenes working so diligently, and now you're like, all right, I got it. I'm going to put this out to the world. And I'll say, if this book didn't exist, but just Brian Johnson coming to the public, you're going to change the world. Not because of what you're writing, but because of who you are. The world needs that. The world needs that radiant exemplar, to use your term. And I just love it, man. And you're leading this incredible community. And this is not VIP service. It's just like, oh, it's a sincere statement because... 
I can read a book and intellectualize it, but when I watch somebody embody it both with their family, with their business, and with, their, with themselves, I can model, right? And this is me speaking on mass for everybody. Like you're doing this incredible thing to the world, and I'm grateful to you, as are our listeners, and, and what will soon be millions and millions of people around the world, man. So I don't want to like gloss over the value of the book. I just want to bring like my perspective on you and hopefully give you the you know the, that, that little nudge to like keep going. I know you're I know you're all in and I know you're all but like yeah it's it's noticed, it's appreciated and it's needed. So thank you. Dude, I appreciate it. Yeah. Let's talk about the seven um steps in your uh process. Yeah, so the seven objectives. So um Again, the trick is, well, how do you distill this stuff? How do you go from, you know, nice and warm and fuzzy ideas to a practical protocol that can truly change someone's life? And our, our model is we want to move you from theory to practice to mastery together today. So the seven objectives, um, we talked about the first objective. You got to know the ultimate game. And again, the reality is most of us have been seduced to play the wrong game. Mm. And that's like uh, David Brooks's second mountain, you know, and, and uh, Stephen Covey used the metaphor of you're climbing a ladder you can get to the top of the ladder and then look around and realize you put it up against the wrong wall. Dude, this is my life. Here's bumps. There's all of our love. You know, let me come on. Why did that? We burned the great risk. Right? So you, you got to know that. And then even the journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step. But if that first step is in the wrong direction, the faster you go, the further you are away from where you wanted to go. Right. So just, just that step back. And again, it's just half an inch and look at it and go, wow. In an unhealthy society, doing what everyone else is doing is probably not a wise idea. So you got to know the ultimate game. Um, and then the second objective is you got to know rule number one of the ultimate game. And in this, the objective is called forge anti-fragile confidence. Um, but you got to know it's supposed to be hard. So you've been seduced to play the wrong game. We have the wrong game. And you've been told it should be easy. So now you're not succeeding in the pursuit of something that was never worth pursuing in the first place. And you're wondering what's wrong with me. Right. But the reality is, again, you just need to re-architect the game that you're playing. But forging anti-fragile confidence is what I'm most excited about and proud of and extending the ideas we talked about with Phil. So what we help you do is, well, first of all, we define anti-fragility. So there's fragile, there's resilient, and then there's anti-fragile. If you're fragile, you break. If you're resilient, you could endure more stress, then you gotta get worn down, then you bounce back faster. But what's the opposite of fragility? Nassim Taleb coined the word anti-fragility. So I want to help get people get stronger the more they face challenges. And then I want to cultivate confidence. So confidence etymologically means confidere, intense trust. In what? That everything will go perfectly? No, in yourself. And then I like to say, well, how do you build trust in any relationship? You do what you say you will do. And the other person does what they say will do. Now, if you say you're going to meditate, spend time with your kids without your phone and eat a certain way or move, move your body and you don't, you shouldn't trust yourself, right. but you haven't earned that trust. So we got to cultivate and forge anti-fragile confidence. So we know our protocol. The worse we feel, the more committed we are to, to, to doing what we need to do. That's the second objective. The third objective, you got to go from the abstract to the concrete, and you got to simplify it all into what we call the big three. So energy, work, and love. I won't go into details on that. The fourth objective is you got to make today the masterpiece. So it's not New Year's days or New Year's resolutions. It's new day's resolutions. Make today the day you move from theory to practice to mastery. Then we talk about objective five, the art and science of self-mastery. 
And there's tons of stuff on that that's exhilarating. Then we dominate the fundamentals in objective six, the basics, you know, eating, moving, sleeping, breathing, focusing. And then objective seven is activate your superpower. Um, I use a Gandhi phrase, soul force. And I say, look, I mean, you've, you've got, I'm so inspired by you. I appreciate your kind words. Um, for me, I look at you the same way of this is it right here. This is what we need more of your own idiosyncratic, passionate, committed expression of your best self. Um, you have soul force. This is a, a, a phrase that Gandhi coined that Martin Luther King talked about in his, I have a dream speech. Ancient Chinese philosophy is all about cultivating moral charisma where you effortlessly do the right thing moment to moment to moment. People feel that in people that have that integrity, that's your superpower. If anyone, think of your heroes, you know, anyone here, think of your heroes. They have soul force, yeah, right? And you have soul force latent within you. And when you achieve higher degrees of mastery in objectives one, two, three, four, five, six, you know the ultimate game. You're forging anti-fragile confidence. You got your energy working loved out and today's the day to master yourself, dominate the fundamentals, you activate your heroic potential um, and people feel it. And there's that that's how we're going to change the world. I mean, this is my unapologetic, fierce ambition is, let's create a world in which 51% of humanity is flourishing by 2051. As you know, I tattooed my body with it. The joke is, you write down your goal, you increase the odds of achieving it by 42%. Most people write it on a post-it put it on their mirror. I put it somewhere. I can't miss it. Yeah. And your story about your son, that's it. I mean, I had a military officer who left the book in his car during a soccer tournament and his 11 year old picked it up and started reading it and stayed up late on a Saturday night. And I said, I've been blessed to get some beautiful endorsements. There's no higher endorsement than that. This is the next generation, you know, and for us to be worthy men and parents and, and, um, uh, to me is ultimately what it's all about and i dedicated the book you know to to you the hero and to our families and and heroic families that can make a difference in the world so much i want to pull out of that but first thing that comes to mind is the generates you and i grew up <clears throat> in probably the first 15 plus years of our lives without ubiquitous technology right it, there wasn't the, the cell phone everywhere there wasn't video games to level it is now so our sons and our daughters are going to be the first generation or, you know, the generation just after us. I mean, the first generation ever to grow up with this ubiquitous access to really, really compelling, addictive technology. And so while a lot of people tend to put them down and say they're lazy and that they're this and they label them, so no, their urges are being hijacked from chemically engineered foods to uh, social media, video games, pornography, and it's, it's at an unconscious level. And if they don't have somebody there to lead them, strong man, a strong woman, a strong family, then it's almost like they have no choice. And that is, that's what's behind my mission. And that's why I'm, I resonate so closely with your mission is because you're taking it and making it actionable. You're saying, hey, that's a cool mission. Now here's the steps to move through it. Uh, the one that I wanted to kind of pull out of what you just said was the art, the science, art and science of self mastery. Let's, let's drill down a little bit on that because I think people throw the term personal development around, self mastery around, but nobody ever gets into like, hey, what are my action steps here? I'd love to have you share. Yeah, I mean, the first thing I like to do is frame it up and talk about how important it is. So one of the steps I like to throw out is because most people, yeah, yeah, it's kind of important, you know, but it's way more important than most people understand. 
So call it self-mastery, willpower, discipline, whatever you want to frame it up as. Um, but research has been done on kids in schools, right? And you can know a kid's IQ and you can know their willpower quotient, you know, how disciplined they are. And the discipline will outpredict the IQ by a factor of two for academic performance. Meaning if you know their willpower, you're going to be twice as effective at, at guessing their grades. Right? And that's crazy when you think about it, you know, that, that higher IQ kids should perform better in a classroom. But no, no, the more disciplined kids are going to be able to perform better because they're going to be able to take that latent talent and express it more powerfully. Um, so, but that's not just academic performance. It's every area of our lives. Discipline is incredibly important. That, that's an obvious thing, but we got to really get that. And when's the last class your kid took on how to cultivate discipline or self-mastery? It doesn't exist. I presented this to a prep school in LA and they commissioned me to teach their kids how to do this. And it's a big part of our movement is education. <laughs> we want to bring these ideas um, throughout the educational world. But anyway, uh, that frame gives you the incentive, the why to invest some time in it. And then, you know, you got BJ Fogg, Charles Duhigg, James Clear's Atomic Habits is brilliant. Like these are great, great models. Um, and then the second thing I like to share before we get into the details of how to change our lives and install and delete habits, um, which of course we talk about, um, is you got to get out of the sense that something's wrong with you. So BJ Fogg has a great frame. He says that most of us think it's a character flaw. Something's wrong with me that I haven't been able to change my life in this particular way. And we've all fallen short of our standards over and over again. And he said, all right, well, maybe, but maybe it's a design flaw. Maybe you weren't taught how to do the things that you want to do. And if you just knew the simple practices and tools, you'd be a heck of a lot more effective at changing your behavior. So quit shaming yourself, bring some curiosity to it, and then become a master at the art and science of, of behavioral change. I didn't answer your question yet, but th that's kind of the frame of it. Um, and we can talk more about, you know, the details of how to install and delete, but tell me what you think. Yeah. So I think you, I think you nailed a lot of things there that are just tools for people to go tap into. It's like the first step is, well, build some, build some knowledge, build some resource. So you'd have an idea of giving, I think it's an empowerment thing. Like you're sitting in this, in this um, dark clouded room of like, I don't know what to do. I don't know if I'm capable. I don't know if it's even possible for me. Just like, well, no, hold on. Like, let's open up the doors and open up the windows and say, you can get, yeah. and get out there into the world, but you got to have the courage yeah. to get out there in the world and pull on those resources. And I think, I think just those books you said right there, Charles Duhigg, yeah. um, James Clear, BJ Fogg, uh, if people just started there. Well, let's, let's talk, I, it'd be a fun thing to talk about, but the story that I tell in the book, after I took Emerson to the tournament, he won two games and he lost two, right? It's still great. And he learned, you know, we went to go play laser tag. Yeah. Right, but we were late. We were a minute before that the next group was going to go out. So the guy's like, "Hey, you're going to miss the briefing. You know, we're going to where we teach you how to play laser tag." And ever since I'd gone the prior week, and I'm thinking to myself, "Dude, it's laser tag." You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I really just need a briefing here. It's been 40 years since right. I've played, but it can't be that hard. Yeah. I'm like, "Oh man, we're good, man. Let's go." He's like, "All right, cool. You can get in." And so we go in, we put on the gear, you know, we go out, and I suck. I mean, I'm just, I'm just terrible. My wife had played the week before, and she got a minus 99 score. And the guys were like, dude, we never seen anybody like that bad little happening about it as a family. Dude, I'm 10 minutes into a 20-minute game and I'm minus 100. I'm literally sweating. <laughs> I'm like, dude, I suck. I got to walk out of here. This is embarrassing, whatever. And, I, and then I look a little closer at the thing and it says 1,000 ammo units, right? And I'm like, I'm pretty sure I started with 1,000 ammo units. And then I, I tell the story in the book. I'm like, and trust me, I'm trying to shoot the thing. My trigger finger is sore, you know? Yeah. Anyway, I look around and I'm like, oh, wait, there's a button up here. I got to hold this button while I fire. 
And then I heard the little, you know, laser thing go. And I tell that story because, and then I learned how to shoot it. And then I had fun, you know, and I did whatever I did. And, and, um, but I'm like, look, laser tag's a lot more fun when you know how to play. Yep. You know, and you know, the simple little thing that this is what you do in order to shoot a laser, it's a lot more fun. So most of us are going through our lives. We don't know how to play, you know, it's a lot more fun when you know a few simple things. Um, and again, we can get into the details of it and how I can do the frame up and all that stuff. Yeah. So if you want to install a habit, there's three things you need to do. First, you need to make it obvious, right? This is a cue, a trigger, a prompt is what BJ and James Clare and, and Duhigg would describe. Um, so you need to make it obvious. So the, the story is if you want to meditate, trip over your meditation cushion when you wake up in the morning. You want to floss your teeth? Well, put the floss right there in your bathroom. You can't miss it. The cue, the trigger, the prompt is right there. It's obvious. Yep. Then you got to make it easy. If you need to meditate for an hour every morning to win, good luck. I mean, my target that I have in the Heroic app is plus one, a breath is a meditation. A minute is a meditation. You got to make it easy. This is tiny habits, atomic habits, little things you can do even when you don't feel like doing it that you made obvious, right? So it's obvious, it's easy, and then you got to celebrate it. And this is what BJ Fogg says. He's like, look, you got to celebrate immediately and intensely. You don't wait 30 days until you've meditated 30 days in a row. The moment you meditate for a minute or 11, which is what I did this morning, which was an abridged thing for me, you go, that's like me. Little celebration, little dopamine. You rewire your consciousness so you feel good when you do the right thing. One, two, three. Obvious, uh, easy, and then you celebrate. That's how you install a habit. And every one of us wants to go next level on something. So think about your habit, plug it in. Then if you want to delete a bad habit, you do the opposite. So if I have a drinking problem or eat too much refined foods or whatever it is, when I see that food, the cue, the trigger, the prompt, I want it and I've got to resist it. So the first rule of changing that type of behavior is make it invisible, make it go away. Make it so the cue, the trigger, the prompt isn't there. The alcohol is dumped down the drain. Don't give it away. That's not what friends do. It's just gone, right? And then the refined food, you buy your willpower at the store. You don't have it at home, right? When you're tired and fatigued, you, you tend to do that. So you make the cue, the trigger, the prompt, not obvious, but invisible. Then you make it hard. All right, you got to go drive to the liquor store if you want to get a drink. Perfect. And then you, uh, you celebrate it when you don't do the thing you used to do, and you needs work it when you make a mistake. So when you inevitably fall short in getting rid of the habit, which you will, it's supposed to be hard, you don't shame yourself. You bring a flashlight to it, and then you look at the moment before you made the wrong decision where the gap took over, you know what I mean? And you go right back to that moment, then you go, oh, I could have done that instead of this. All right, I'm not going to shame myself. It's data. Win or learn. Learning is winning. Next time, I'm going to do this. You use the data to get better. Needs work, it is how we describe it. And then you get back to your life. And you, you, that's, that's the, the cycle that when you combine it with these other things, it gets exciting and it becomes fun. And the whole, you know, there's a joy to it rather than this joyless urgency where you're never enough and burn. Um, all that stuff. One of the things I add to that for my guys is like, I just need you to break the habit one time. Just do it once because then you can prove to yourself it's possible. 100%. Because if you can do it that one time, that first time, when you know it's really hard, you've just proven to yourself it's possible. And then you may, you may mess up a couple of times in between, but then you may get another one. Yep. And it's like, oh, I just create that idea of like, yeah, I can do it. Because I, I know, you know, there's a lot of people living with habits they're trying to break. Yep. Yeah. Um, what are some of the like, two people, at least one person out of these two chairs, we've all, we've all got the little things and that's the yeah. common humanity, you know, it comes and goes for sure. Yeah. And there's more and less vicious, you know, spectrum of behaviors, but we've all got certain things. And it's like, oh, okay, cool. 
my six-year-old right now, she's got she's got some very big lungs and a very vocal expression of herself. It's like, all right, thank you for giving me the opportunity to practice my philosophy. Stepping in between stimulus and response and, you know, choosing to get a little bit better. Uh, she's she's such, got, is it the fire she's expressing? She's got the fire, maybe. Yeah, I love it's, it. it's great, you know, but you've got, you, you, you know how it is. There's uh, relationships, both uh, uh, intimate and kids give us the best opportunities to practice. Yeah, know? one of the things children have done to me is... Uh, given and, and pro- probably just my personal development as well, and, and an enormous amount of introspection, uh, a massive appreciation for every dimension of every personality. Like some, the one thing I don't always yet appreciate for personalities is unpredictability. <laughs> right? If someone's just like completely out of the out of nowhere, I was like, that's setting me off a little bit. It's, it's jarring. <laughs> but if someone has like big emotions or or big expression of their emotions. I just sit there in so much appreciation because I just really believe just if it's if it's misdirected, yeah. like okay, well, express it. Yeah. Maybe we just like harness that and put. I guess that was me as a kid. Yeah, it's like I was the kid who had big emotions in all directions, and I thought I was a bad person. I was like, I thought there's something broken, broken in the design phase, right? Yeah, I was like, no, I just I just realized I just need to learn to harness that, so now I can look there without fear and without judgment at people, and maybe that's what makes me a great coach. So I could look without fear of judgment and I could just see you. I'm like, okay, I see how we can we can take this and and just like transmute it over there. Yeah. You create something great in the world. Yeah. Um what are the biggest challenges people in your community are coming to you with? Cause because as you're speaking, I can go, okay, people are gonna get stuck on that. They're gonna get stuck on that, they're gonna get stuck on that. You know, and, and maybe you could talk about yourself in the beginning, um, before you you enacted all these tools. What were the things that you would find yourself getting stuck on? or And what, what are the ones that are coming up still in the community of coaches? Because I know you're, you have thousands of coaches around the world now. So what are the things that are still coming up saying, hey, I'm not able to do this. This is where I'm falling short. This is where I'm stumbling. Yeah. Well, I think we talked about a lot of them. Just the idea, just getting the ultimate game, knowing it's not supposed to be easy and all those things. But what arises for me is truly falling in love with the process, you know, and truly getting the fact that it's the mundane, simple um, behaviors that are consistently executed at a very high level that lead to all the forms of greatness we want. You know, the, the, the energy being optimized, our productivity, our connection, that it isn't the big, huge, uh, earth-shaking things. It's the basic fundamentals. So I think that, you know, people get bored too quickly. You know, they think that they should get the results quickly, then they should stop. They shouldn't need to do it. So Phil calls that exoneration, getting to a point where you no longer need to do right. hard work. And, um, that certainly was a challenge for me. You know, it frankly isn't anymore. I love the process. Now I just, I'm John Wooden's my favorite coach. He went to UCLA, you know, but all of his championships. And we talk about it actually. It's the first um, chapter in the uh, the fundamental section in the book is the first thing John Wooden would have his players do. These are, these are the best athletes of the generation, you know. They'd come into his gym and before he would let them touch a basketball, he would personally teach them how to put on their socks and their shoes. The most basic fundamental act of a basketball player, he didn't take for granted. Um, and then, you know, the reason was they'd get a blister, you know, if the sock wasn't quite right. But it's an absurd thing that he emphasized over and over and over again. It's how he started every season. So for me, people still don't get that at the deepest, most fundamental level. Um, and it becomes a chore, you know? And, and for me, what I want to encourage is to see it as a gift. Those little things you're doing for yourself, they're not some, I should do this and someone told me I should. Oh man, who likes to do chores? But when we can make them a gift, 
and we can see and we can make the connection between those simple basic things that create the guardrails in our lives and create the scaffolding such that we still have highs and lows, you know, but it's not so dramatic. Right. Um, we talk about that a lot, but that, that would be my, my, um, that's the number one thing I want to encourage people to, to think about is consistency. Consistency is the exponentializer to your superpower. We have a, a formula for it, you know, and you get your energy focused on what's important now, parentheses to the power of consistency. And I run it through a mathematical equation, right? Where if you get your energy dialed into 100, zero to 100, and then you get it focused zero to 100 on what's important now, zero to 100. And right now, you're important to me. So my energy, you know, I worked out this morning. Let me get my energy. Let me focus it on you. Boom, let's go. Might be my kids. It might be a business conversation or whatever it is. 100 times 100 times 100 is a million units of power, right? And this is the soul force equation, how we operationalize it. All right, cool. That feels good. I'm alive right now. Now, the question is, raise that to the power of consistency. How consistently can you do that? Is it once in a while? You know, or is it, no, no, I'm actually best at consistency. Like, that's how I show up. Um, If you raise a million to the power of zero, you bring the power back down to one. And you actually, frankly, feel worse. Like, after you go to an event, you know, and you walk on fire, or you meditate for 10 hours a day for 10 days, you're like, well, I feel so... Boom, I'm down. And no one tells you that the hard work begins after the hot. Then you got to build up the practices. But anyway, if you run the same math, energy, focus on what's important now, 100, 100, 100 to the power, I'm sorry, equals a million. And I remember the morning I did this, Michael and I were producing our coach program and I was trying to articulate this powerfully. And I'm thinking to myself in my meditation, you know, what is a million to the power of 100? Huh. And I went online, right? And I go to Google Calculator. I'm like, 100, 100, 100. Where's the exponentializer? Oh, there it is. All right, to the power of 100. The power of a million to the, the hundredth degree out of 100 on consistency, the answer is infinity. Your power is infinite. You've tapped into, uh, it's kind of like my take on Eckhart Tolle's power of now. If you can actually bring your energy focused on what's important right now, it's like a heroic um, power of now that's exciting. And when we get that, and we get the, the, the great ones, spiritual great ones, the Buddha reached enlightenment and still meditated. Now, if the Buddha meditated after he got enlightened, maybe I can continue my meditation practice and the other things I need to do is I aspire to be a fraction of that, you know? But anyway, that's the long answer to your question, but um, people get bored too fast, you know, and they want the results too quickly and they don't realize that the game is won through the small mundane process is, moment. Process, process to victory. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. Incredible. What's Brian Johnson doing every day uh, for energy? Dude, I can bust out my app right now and show you. I got, I got, you know, maybe 30 targets. So one of the things we try to help people do is identify what they do when they're at their best and what they don't do when they're, when they're at their best, you know, and then systematically make your best, your, your prior best, your new baseline, right? So I mean, I do the same thing every day. I mean, I'm in bed for eight to nine hours, eight to nine hours a night, except when I'm not. Last night was like the first out of like, I don't know, 600 days since we've had the app. I've probably not done that 10 times. Perfect. I know my protocol. I deliberately broke it, hanging out with Giovanni last night. All right, we're good. You know, got up early for us. But I'm in bed for eight to nine hours a day. That's my number one fundamental is sleep. I'm meditating every day for at least 11 minutes in the morning. Might go up to 60, but somewhere in between. I'm moving. So I do one sun salutation, 10 pull-ups, 100 burpees, 1,000 meters of rowing, and 10,000 steps. 
and 30 minutes of movement, recovery, or training every day. Every day. So what I don't even think about it. You know, boom, what's the minimum amount of training I can do to feel alive? All right, perfect. And then I've got a, a series of other things I'm doing from cold to nutrition protocol and digital sunsets and other, other obvious things. But I've got it broken down in my energy and then in my work and productivity and then in my relationships. But it's the relationships that's been most transformative for me. Um, and frankly, for the guys that, that go through our program, we're super ambitious. Energy and work is easy for me. Um, it's really, really showing up powerfully as a husband and a father um, that's been really um, powerful for me to make it more concrete, the things I'll do on a daily basis, you know, phone-free time with my kids is a big one, looking for micro moments, you know, with individuals in my family um, and in in the world, um, giving my kids a hug every day, sending my wife a little text love note, takes me 10 seconds, you know, um, I recommit to being with my wife for 51 years, first thing I do every morning, boom, I want to be worthy of that, you know, and celebrate with her. So little things, you know, that we can take for granted, that when you do them consistently and you aggregate and compound those gains, you can fundamentally and permanently change your life in your own, you know, idiosyncratic way. The relationship stuff strikes a chord for me. I've got some some stories, some stuff, you know, childhood stuff and and past stuff. And so creating those daily non-negotiables where I commit to being my best best version of myself in, in, in a relationship, uh, probably feels like was almost certainly feels like the most powerful lever for me as well as you said being levered for me uh being a man again not that every man has those challenges but i definitely can can relate and look forward to uh deciding and, and determining what those are because it honestly hasn't been a focus for me yeah and so again you're setting the idea of being the radiant exemplar of like hey this is 51 years is is, is that just like a uh, you want to see what it looks like to do. I'm just, uh, you know, 51. I'm kind of a numbers guy. So 51% of humanity by 2051. Been with my wife for 17 years. And, you know, obviously, um, she's amazing. You know, yeah, she's amazing, you know, and she's amazing putting up with me, you know, and it's guys, cool, let's go. So not without challenges, you know, and it's just a beautiful thing, but being worthy of that. So I literally spent the second, just boom, recommit. Um, and I want to be best friends with my adult kids. I commit to that every morning. I want to be their kid's papa, you know, and I try to fast forward to their 11 and 6. But am I going to be worthy of that? I'm earning that right now or not, you know, and that's really important to me. Um, and it's funny, too, because I, I told this story um, yesterday to, uh, to a team we were meeting with. But um, when we first had the app and I was really making these things deliberate, and the whole idea of the app is you commit every day. And you program your reticular activating system the same way that you see a car when you want to buy a car, all of a sudden you see it everywhere. Right. When you make these commitments, we're finding qualitatively and quantitatively that then your attention is following the intention. So literally, I, my mother-in-law lives you know, in our tiny house at our property part of the year. And so I got the app and I programmed, I want to create micro moments. It's a scientific term, micro moments of positivity resonance, little moments of love. And so I put her in there right? And I put my kids in there too, of course. Um, so I'm looking for moments where I can connect with my mother-in-law deliberately. She's awesome. And she's truly just amazing. But I was like deliberately looking for that. And I'm, I'm a pretty introverted guy. I'm a hermit, really, you know, and I don't get out much. You know, it's easy for me to get stuck in my own thinking. So I'm committing to this and she doesn't know I have the app. And within like two or three days, gives me goosebumps and tears. She tells my wife, something's different about Brian, mm. you know, and, and 
I'm a decent guy, you know what I mean? But something was, I was trying to, just to really find little moments. Like, what do we just say? Hi, I'm on the trail and I'm like, hey, you know, 20 seconds, right? But those little things matter. And that's been the, um, the biggest thing for me. And again, as a man that, that has had my own challenges, as you know, with my family of origin and um, it's been really, really, really powerful. Um, and the feedback we've gotten on that is profound. And the idea of operationalizing love, making it practical, not an abstract concept, but actually expressed in our day-to-day lives um, is something I'm really committed to getting better and better at in terms of everything that we're doing with our work and, and the app and whatnot. Um, and I appreciate you reflecting on that. How do you connect with your intuition? So I'm going to give you some framing on that question. So a lot of these things you're doing are so intentional, so specific, and so nuanced that it's not random. They're like you're 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 tapped in. Yep, that was all look like, dude. That's again, that's a a fun and easy question to answer. And I actually I, I interviewed Stephen Kotler recently. Um, so what I and I connected to him. So what I do every single morning that's when I meditate. So again, scientists say, if you want to install a behavior, reduce the variability of your behavior, mm. stack it where you're doing this, then that. So I meditate every morning after I wake up and do that, you know, hygiene stuff in the morning. It's just what I do. And then what I do is I measure my resting heart rate with a pulse oximeter. So I'll slow hunter or during, during, before I meditate. Okay. So I sit down, I'm in my hero's pose, you know, I, I happen to meditate in what is called hero's pose before yep. I knew it was called that. You know, shins on the on the hemp, you know, machine or whatever, and um, uh, my butt on my heels, etc. But I get out the pulse oximeter, and I I drop my heart rate down, right? And then on the social platform, I, I take a picture of it. So this morning it was forty and a hundred saturation, and I find that still point that's measured biofeedback wise via this little measure, and I do that every morning, um, and then I do two to three minutes of really quick vision reflection. What are we just sitting there? I'm like, all right, cool. This is the vision 51, 20, 51. And then I got a series of things that I'm committed to that string that big 30 year goal down to this, uh, down to today. Um, anyway, I do that every single morning. And then I do a certain, you know, meditation sequence, uh, reflecting on the virtues that we talk a lot about. I, I actually invite my heroes to join me, you know, Ralph Waldo Emerson, Abraham Lincoln, Marcus Aurelius, John Mackey's a hero of mine, living hero, Phil Stutz and Joseph Campbell. They literally come into my consciousness and they give me advice. They say the same thing every day. It's awesome. Uh, but that's just a couple minutes. But then I, I just, I'm still in, uh, it's hard to put into words, you know, but, but things are just clear. And I clear my mind, but then I also, after that, will envision things. And I just, it's, um, it sounds weird, but I see things. There's just a very clear sense of, oh, that's alive. Pay attention. You know, and just being with that. And then before I do anything, I do that thing. I do what's important now, which is one of my productivity targets. I do the most important thing for the day, which almost always comes on the other side of that practice. Now, that's what I do. But then Stephen Kotler, he was super funny. I'm like, hey, dude, what's up? You know, kind of like this. And we're through our chat. And he's like, I'm like, what's interesting to you right now? And then he just goes off. He's like, you know, what's really interesting to me right now is the neurobiology of intuition. And I'm like, damn, I'm excited. I'm like, man, let's go. He's like, that's my next book. I'm like, no way. Like, what? Tell me about it, you know? Um, and basically, it's, um, I shared with him my practice afterwards. And something like that is how you tap into your intuition via the neurobiology of intuition. Because what you want to do is still your mind, 
So your prefrontal cortex, your rational mind is quieted such that your subconscious mind can tap into the connections that are there that it's already making that if you are too busy and too active in your thinking or worse, all you're doing is digesting, you know, TikTok videos, Instagram videos, good luck. There's no space for any original thinking and clarity, et cetera. But that was his literal, you know, next book on the neurobiology of intuition. How cool is that? Through which we still ourselves. And I find that I can't ever get back to that state any other time in the day. It's not possible for me. Once I have inputs, uh, I call it being creative before reactive. Once I have other people's ideas in my head, their purity is gone. And so you can't pay me to have inputs, you know, emails, texts. I'm always in airplane mode until I'm not. Um, but that, that practice, I do it every day. I can't remember the last time I did it. How long does it take beginning to end front to back? I mean, this morning it was, it was 15 minutes, 30 minutes. I didn't have a lot of time. Um, I can do it. And, and Josh Waitzkin talks about this, you know, he had this like elaborate hour long, you know, when he was a, a martial artist competing for the world championship, you know, pre match protocol. And then once the schedule got messed up and he had to go straight on. You guys, wait, I got to figure out a one or three minute version of this. So I've got different versions. I've got the, I got all the time in the world, you know, hour, hour and a half version of it. Um, and then I've got a, you know, 15 minutes, you know, I, you're not going to get me doing much before I've done what I just described in 15, 30 minutes. And again, it may sound like a lot to some people, but my joke is I get more done in the first 15, 30, 45, 60 minutes of my day than the old me used to get done in a year, you know, and that's a bit of an exaggeration to be hyperbolic, but not much because I'm clear on what I need to get done and I get the most important thing done and I don't do it once in a while. Consistency is my exponentializer. So I'm showing up every day. Cal Newport and I have talked about this and, and he calls it accreting value. You can't do it once in a while. Stephen King wrote seven, writes seven days a week. I'm a seven day a week, 365 guy. I don't care. My birthday is Christmas. Thanks. Oh, perfect. All right, cool. I got my protocol and I'm going to show up for X minutes. And the value that is accreted, the clarity that is accumulated and accreted, for me personally has been profound. Um, and the feedback we've gotten from people that engage in similar practices yeah. is powerful too. I just want to make it real for people, right? Because all those things you're saying, Sounds like a lot. It's like, gosh, that's so much. But for you to say, hey, 15, like everyone can commit to that. Dude, yeah. And again, my joke is, let me follow you around for the day. And, and let your daimon, which is your guiding spirit, follow you around for the day. So you, daimonia, is good soul. You, good daimon soul. So the reality is someone is following you around every day. And they're keeping track of how you're showing up. So, you know, if you don't have, I want to follow you around. If you don't have five minutes to, that you can put into a more productive area, then geez, like we, we need to be, I'm not that guy. But, but there's more time than we think when we know the ultimate game. Yeah. And then all of a sudden we have a deep soul aching yes, as David Brooks says. You're so committed to being the best version of yourself in your own idiosyncratic way that it's easy to say, no, I don't have a social, a team takes care of the social stuff. I, I don't know how to get into my Instagram account. I think I have one. You know, I, TikTok, what's that? Like, right. okay, we just make decisions of what's truly important and what's not. Right. And then we're able to let it go and there's a freedom um, that may not have existed. Yeah, so when you say good soul, what comes to mind is, I think a lot of people are, are seeking to feel good, not seeking to do good. Yep. 
And I think there's that slight nuance of like, oh, this makes me feel good, so I should do more of that. And like, hold on a minute, because I, I get that that in in the short term, yep. time horizon, that's, that makes sense. Yep. But if you're not clear on the big picture, long-term time horizon, you're just always got to choose that, where it's like, no, I have to do the good. And, right. and where there's resistance in the beginning, it feels challenging because it's new, Eventually, it's just momentum. Ward Farnsworth, the great Stoic who wrote a book called The Practicing Stoic, calls it the good mood versus the good life. Mm. So eudaimonic happiness is juxtaposed with hedonic. And again, there's nothing wrong with hedonic happiness in and of itself. But when it is our predominant focus and the good mood is what we're chasing, then the good life is going to elude us. And then the, the paradox there, and Seneca talks about it too, he says, how much better to pursue a right life and a good life such that what is best for you is what you most enjoy. I mean, so I'm not sitting here saying, oh, shit, I got to do this again. I'm saying, oh, cool. What's, what clarity am I going to get yeah. today? And I want to be here because I want to be alive with bed. And literally, I'm banging out my, you know, 55 last burpees on my 100 burpees by the harbor this morning. The sun's rising. You know, I'm like, why? This is a gift, you know? And those, those um, things that we used to begrudgingly do become the things that we enjoy doing that then also create um, the good life. And then literally you got the good mood of the good life. That's when you're winning, where the things that are best for you are the things that you most enjoy doing. Um, and I didn't, I, trust me, I wasn't there. Um, took me a long time to get to that point. And I think that's part of our work is can we accelerate some of these gains to make it practical and save some people years or decades of their lives, you know, and accelerate. And you're 11 year old, my kids, the stuff that I had to figure out over you know, literally the first 40, 45 years of my life, it's like, oh, geez. Yeah, they're going to have that by the time they're 12. They're like that. Dude, but it was never even part of their whole story, you know? I'll just show it up, doing a keynote. I'm like, all right, I got to practice my philosophy. My son shows up for his chest He's like, all right, let's go. You know, there's a, yeah. there's a true embodiment of these ideas, yeah. which, by the way, is important to mention because the hero, the etymology of the word hero is protector. So it's not tough guy, killer, bad guys, guy with a lot of Instagram followers, you know, it's, it's a protector and the heroes, um, has strength for two and they do the hard work to have the strength for two and their secret weapon is love. So what drives me more than anything is, you know, being here with you today and just knowing how you've influenced me and how we've been able to support one another. And then my kids and my team and making it about something bigger than ourselves is, is the ultimate you know, source of power and where we get that, that wisdom, that discipline, that, that courage to show up and do what needs to get done, whether we feel like it or not. You said that, and I repeat that so often is like, so many people are struggling to achieve whatever they're trying to achieve. Or I've got a friend who's struggling with some substance abuse right now. And I was like, the only way out is you have to commit to something bigger than you. Cause if it's just about you, it's so easy to go, oh, I don't, I don't matter. Right. But as soon as you commit to something bigger than yourself, now you're pulled. It's like, it's like a, tractor beam rather than like how I have to like force myself. I'm pushing against something and I get pulled. I speak about that so much and to find that higher purpose. And people, when, when I say higher purpose, everyone automatically goes to God. I'm like, it's not, it doesn't have to be God. It can be. A lot of people find religion, but it can be just like, hey, maybe I commit to being a hero for one person, right? Maybe I commit to being a hero in my vocation or in my family or whatever it happens to be. I think it, that's an important lesson for people to extract is like, he, look, because it's there, yep. right? I believe, as you say, it requires the reflection, but that that person, that mission that you're moving toward, that you're inspired by is there. You just aren't creating the space in your life to go find it. Yep. I think everyone's God, as you say, if you, if you give your soul a chance to speak, it'll tell you. Yep. Yeah. 
your app and, and your coaching program are, I did the coaching programs as first class, I think, uh, or, or very early. Uh, and, the, and, the, and the app, as I said, has got this incredible process. Um, and the thing that drew me into uh, Heroic originally was these philosopher's notes, which you said 650. So it's such an incredible resource. And, you know, I sent all my clients there, you know, that all, you know, all my, my guys going to the course. Um, I'm curious what the three most downloaded uh, philosopher's notes are, three most downloaded plus one. Do you have on that? Dude, 100%. I mean, this is part of why that's in the book. Yeah, well, no, but I mean, I, I uh, you know, we know exactly which which plus ones, which philosophers is the most popular. Um, so Michael's here, you can correct me. Deep Work by Calendar. Calendar Report, I think I saw that. Name. Yeah, yeah, number one. Is it is it Atomic Habits? Number two? Atomic Habits by James Clear. I mean, those two books are phenomenal. Deep Work, Calendar Report, Brilliant Thinker, Atomic Habits was the reason why it's, you know, number one bestseller forever. Yeah, James is a very good communicator. He's great. Yeah, and it's just, you know, we needed a book that really defined the practical application of behavioral change. He delivered on it. Yeah. And then the tools? Then the tools by Phil Stutz. So those were our top three most um, popular and downloaded um, philosopher's notes. Three of my favorite um, books and teachers. Um, not close with James, you know, beyond the acquaintance, but, but Cal's such a good human being. Phil's such a good human being. And uh, yeah, love those ones. And what are the, tell me about plus ones, if you want, if you describe it to the audience, what are the plus ones? Yeah, so plus one is a, um, a super short form piece of content we deliver on a daily basis. Um, two to three minutes of, hey, in and out, think about this, fire you up. Uh, and um, the book is essentially a distillation of the absolute best of those. 451, we're done for 1,500 of them. Short form, pithy, um, we've been told practical tools of, that, that, you know, can fire people up. Then the philosopher's notes are longer form. Then we've got some 101s that are the hour long, you know, 50 different subject classes. Yeah, it's it's the PhD in personal development. I don't know if, that, if that's like a, I don't want to like pigeonhole, but it's, it's literally a PhD in uh, self-mastery, right? Uh, what you're doing is just, you've, you've summarized all of the best books and then all of the best information, then put your incredible wisdom into that and create this resource that people can literally like go through this book by the end of it, you're going to have a different perspective. And then if they're willing to do the work every day, you could have a different life. And I think that's um, all we can ask. I'm so grateful uh, to one, for you making the time um, that for who you are in this world. Um, to ask your question that you asked Stephen Kotler, what's what's top of mind for you right now? What are you, what are you really striving toward other than making this uh, New York Times bestseller? Yeah, I mean, I'm, we're obviously excited about the book. We launched our social platform. So that's that's the essence of the heroic. Yeah. Um, you know, our public benefit corporation is creating an answer to the social dilemma, the Netflix documentary, yeah. where, you know, the unintended catastrophic consequences of attention economics, where these social platforms are built basically to sell your attention. Right. Um, so we've created our... Tell us about that, because I, I didn't even know that was a lot. Yeah, it's, it's private beta right now. So just, you know, a really, really small group of people, and we're just hustling. To, we're, I'm proud of where it is, but... Um, you know, the idea is that when a hero goes on their hero's journey, they get a guide and, and then they get buddies, right? So Harry Potter got Dumbledore, he gets Hermione and Ron, right? Um, so our social platform was architected to help you connect to different guides. So we're so excited to bring you on and to help, you know, shine a light on your wisdom and create an environment through which individuals who are passionate about these ideas can connect with one another online in a social platform that doesn't have any of the toxicity of the normal social platforms out there that's exclusively about 
um, helping us flourish and show up as our best selves. We architected that with a Canadian company called MetaApp, the same company that built Slack and Tinder and Uber Eats and Elon Musk's new Neuralink. So we're really, really proud of it. And, um, you know, we want to create a, a social training platform. It's not enough just to connect. We've got to connect together, engaging in our practices. That'll be both online and offline. Um, so we want to have a thousand engaged cities in a hundred different countries of people connecting in the real world um, and also online as well. But that's the basic idea with the uh, the social side of things. So that's top of mind. But at the end of the day, dude, I'm just trying to show up, make today a masterpiece, enjoy the process. That's that's kind of my biggest thing. Mm. You know, I've worked so hard for so long and there's been phases, you know, of, of joyless urgency. There's a phrase I just picked up and I'm forgetting the author's name, but I thought that was just so good. You know, you can get so into this stuff and forget the idea that we're, it's, this is a brief, brief opportunity we have. Let's enjoy it. You know, let's do our best, but let's remember to bring a true deep sense of joy. So frankly, that's my, that's my number one thing. My chat with Phil, you know, he's like, dude, you should be having so much fun right now. You should feel like you're cheating. Yeah. If you're not feeling like that, then you're not doing it right. So that sense of real joy, um, for the sacredness of, of what we have, um, yeah, so being here with you today, man, this is such a pleasure, and, and I just appreciate you, and here you are, and you always bring out the best of me, so thank you. Dude, thanks, man. Let's go that play class. That's a wrap. Ladies, gents, boys, and girls, I hope you love my conversation with Brian Johnson, and if you're someone who is living a life that you know there's more, you know that you can get a little more of your body. You know you can get a little more of your mind. And maybe you don't have a clear path. Or maybe you're looking for answers to some of your life's biggest challenges or life's biggest questions. I'm going to highly suggest you pick up Brian's book, Arte. I've read it. I've read it with my son, who's 11 years old. And my son, uh, to my amazement and surprise and delight, uh, teaches his friends on his hockey team. He teaches his coaches. And he shares some of the wisdom that Brian shared with me and with him and with the world. And Brian's mission is to ultimately change the world from a place of love. And this is why I love Brian. Brian's an incredible human. And guys, if you're part of this community, I would love to support Brian as a brother, uh, as someone who I respect and ultimately who uh, I want to raise up in this world. In, in a time of challenge, and a time of uncertainty in the world, uh, we band together as brothers and sisters and uh, support each other to ultimately express the highest version of ourselves. And a community of like-minded people is the way to do that. So ladies and gents, head over to Amazon, pick up Brian's book, uh, Arte, and also head over to muscleintelligence.com slash heroic and get three, 30 days free of his app. Now, don't just get the app and not use it. Use the 30 days. You're going to love it. It's incredible. Uh, it, one, it's super easy to use. Two, incredibly effective and just really, really well done. Like one of the best apps I've ever been on. Uh, that's no hyperbole. Um, enjoy Thank you so much for tuning into Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Pikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest 
interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.